Father, we pray that you would speak to us through the living word of and that we would be attentive and enthusiastic and uh, fully surrendered to do whatever you would speak to us today. Fill this place with your spirit and your presence, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so the, the theme that's kind of pretty obvious when you read through this chapter or this section that was just read is that all the promises of God are uh, come through Jesus. Everything that we want, everything that we desire, everything that we need comes to us through Jesus Christ. Like He is the yes of God. He is the yes that we're longing for. He is the um, in Him and in connection with Him and in union with Christ. Everything that we could ever desire is provided for us and therefore that's why we so desperately need Jesus in our lives and in our hearts. <clears throat> I think we all know that the the wind of revival <clears throat> has our attention as it should because of the things that we're hearing that God might be doing, that God is doing in the world today and not so very far from us. It does appear that something is taking place across the land that has the markings of God upon it and as expected, there are critics and skeptics and opponents both inside and outside of Christianity. But for this, many people uh, conclude, us included, to be conversing about God, to be wanting to meet with God, to be seeking God in prayer, to be confessing sin, to have extended praise and worship of God. That's not normal. And something is going on that's extraordinary. People don't normally do that. They don't normally stay for hours and hours and hours and hours. I read a quote that said, the history of the church flows from one time of revival to another. And what that means is, if you wanted to study the movement of God and you wanted to study the work of God, one of the ways you're going to do that is you're going to go from moment to moment where these great moments of God's outpourings occur, even from the Old Testament into the New, and particularly from the time of Christ and the outpouring in Acts 2 at Pentecost onward to our own day. If you wanted to study it, you're going to spend some time. If you wanted to know what has God been doing in the world, one of the ways, the simplest ways, is to look at those moments when He's pouring out. And Christianity takes a, a leap or a giant move of God happens and it affects nations and kingdoms and towns and many, many people come to faith and large outpourings of people crying out to God and worshiping God. And it feels like we might be in one of these movements and moments in history. And I was thinking, um, well, why don't we experience that? Why don't we run after that if that is what's happening indeed? Whatever God is pouring out, I, w I want it. I want some of it. I don't want to sit back there as a critic and try to, you know, it's like, well, let's just sit here from our distance and critique everything so we can decide if we think we want to get involved. How about just run toward what we think God is doing and let Him do what He does? And that's kind of what... I decided I wanted to do, and I, I regret, I was super disappointed when Caleb and I went there, and they said they were going to stop at one. It's like, what? We just, I was wanted to go all night, and I was so disappointed we got there, and it's like, man, we only get three hours of this. 
So I want hours and hours and hours. Um, however, <clears throat> I, I knew that was all in God's hands. I thought I knew things I had to do the, the next day and, and I had this window of time and I thought, let me just seize what I've got. Let me just run for what I have here. And I was so excited to be there. And I, I want to read a, a couple of Psalms. There's three back to back to back. So if you want to turn this, it's real easy for you to see this. In Psalm chapter 32, is, I've always loved Psalm 32. And it's very beautiful to me. And I think about it as a, a salvation psalm when someone is saved. And hopefully for the rest of our saved existence, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Well, let me slow down. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Um, any transgressors here? Any blessed people here? Blessed is the one. Any people who are transgressors who are not forgiven yet? I'm so glad you're here. Because you don't have to leave that way. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. Sins covered. Man, I've got a lot of sins I tried to cover, but I never could cover them. Could you cover, have you been able to cover yours very well? I've never been able to cover my sins. I've tried to, tried to cover them, cover them up. But I couldn't. I couldn't. I didn't have what it took, but I'm blessed. I'm so blessed now. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there's no deceit. When I kept silent, and I tried that for years and years. My bones wasted away. I tried like keep silent, keep the lid on it. Don't let people know the wrongs you've done. Pretend, hide, act, fake. Though through my groaning all day, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. And that's called conviction of sin. When God begins to bring conviction, the hand of God. Thank God for the heavy hand of God. Are you thankful for the hand of God? Thank God that His hand is heavy, can be heavy when it needs to be. And He can come upon us and like a weight upon us. It's like, oh man, what is that? It's God. It's God saying, let me take this off of you. It's not God tried to compress us and squash us. And that's how some people see conviction. It's like the conviction is like God's wanting to take the, he's trying to take the load off of us. And until we begin to feel the load, we pretend it's not there. And the Holy Spirit of God begins in times of revival where large numbers of people begin to feel the weight of God and they feel the weight of their sins. And finally he broke forth and it says, I acknowledge my sin to you, did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So that's some happy people right there. What would be a proper response? What would be a proper response? What would be a proper response for someone whose sins, every sin are forgiven and in whom the Lord counts no iniquity? What would be a proper response? Well, it doesn't feel like we are responding in a manner proportionate to the exchange that has occurred. Do you feel that way? You feel like, do you feel like you've, you've responded appropriately yet? Aren't you glad that one day you will? But right now, we're not. We're not responding in proportion to what's been the exchange that's occurred. We took all of our sins, gave them to Jesus, and He hung on a cross and died for us and paid for our sins, and we get His righteousness in return. We get forgiveness. We get pardon. We're going to stand before God Almighty on Judgment Day, and we're going to say, I have no sins to account for because Jesus paid for them on the cross. Can you imagine... What kind of response that ought to elicit in the people of God? We're not there yet. But hopefully we're on the way. You want to respond a little better? 
Do we want to respond? We want to get more excited about this? Can you? Then I look at chapter 33. And it tells us that one of the responses occasionally we just ought to shout. Shout for joy in the Lord. I don't know. I heard one man say, I'm not a shouter. I've heard plenty of people say they weren't a shouter. And guess what I did? I sat next to them in a football game and figured out they are shouters. They are shouters and shout. They're embarrassing. Some moms will flatten embarrass you at a basketball game if their kid's on the floor. So don't tell me you're not a shouter. I've been to ball games. I've seen some of you. And it says, shout for the joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. It's like fitting. It's like clothing. We're clothed with giving God praise. Give thanks to the Lord. Well, by the way, it doesn't say, Psalm 33 doesn't say shout at football games, but be chill at church. It says, shout in the context of worship, joyful expressions to God. Praise befits the upright. It's fitting. Who else should have a better reason? Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, make melody with the harp of ten strings, sing to the Lord a new song, play skillfully on the strings, and let me say it again, with loud shouts. That's what he says. That seems appropriate. That sounds appropriate. That feels appropriate. When you go somewhere and you see people passionately worshiping God, and they're expressing God, and they're not distracted by everyone around them, they're focusing in on God. And that's what we want. That's what times of revival can do for us. Can you imagine any situation? Can you imagine any situation in which you, you, I want you to think, is can you tell me what would it take for you to give loud shouts to the Lord? I think someone might have to sneak up behind you in church with a cattle prod. That might get you to shout for the Lord. But wouldn't it get you to shout for the Lord if the joy of salvation is yours and your sins are no longer yours? So we might need to shock some of you. And me too. Because I can get way too apathetic about what Christ has done for me. I've been to ball games with you and I've watched you so I know what you're capable of. Okay, in Psalm 34, 1 through 8, the whole psalm is amazing. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. Like I'm a praise machine. You ought to be a praise machine. We are praise machines because we've been saved from our sins. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast, not in how many points I got, but in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. That's what this group of people is saying. We're saying, we're going to magnify the Lord and you magnify the Lord with me. They're saying, with me. As we come to church, we're saying, hey, let's go to church and you come and magnify the Lord with me. It's like, let's go here and check out the sermon and check out the preacher and check out, see if their worship team's any good. No, it's not like you check us out. Jesus is trying to see if we will respond to His glorious deeds. And He says, let us, and that's the heart of a worshiping church. It says, come, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Isn't it fun when you're somewhere and the people want to exalt the name of Jesus and it just makes you want to do it with them. You're like, I want that. I want in. What does it take? And you start to exalt the name of Jesus. You go, well, that wasn't too embarrassing. Not too many people worried because they were busy exalting Jesus. It's a whole lot more fun to go to a church where people aren't sitting there worried about what everyone's thinking because everyone's exalting Jesus and they're not worried about the people in front of them, behind them. They just want to exalt His name together. And that's what it felt like when we went to this place.
They, have, they can't stop. They'll stop. It'll stop. And doggone it, if it didn't stop the night I was there. But it didn't, it didn't completely stop. It just stopped temporarily. And that's how you ought to feel when church is over. It's not like, oh man, church is over. It's not like, you church is over. That's, well, I'm afraid we shout then. I want us to shout when it gets started because church, Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to come to church with us. Isn't that what we want? That's what revival is. Have you ever seen the look on someone's face when they bite into something that explodes in deliciousness upon their taste buds? It says, This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what, when someone invites you to church, here's what they ought to be saying. Hey, come with me. And I want you to taste and see for yourself. That's what an invitation to church is like. Come on. God's going to tell you all the things you've done wrong. He's going to tell you how wicked you are. and You're probably going to burn in hell. Come on. That's a lot of fun. Come on. Let's go to church so you can hear all that stuff. That's not what we're saying. That's what we're wanting you not to do. We don't want you to experience that. We're telling you we want to be set free from that. We want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. I know what you're out there tasting because I tried all that stuff. It wasn't very good. I tried this and I tried that and it ended up bitter. And I thought, well, maybe this is what I want. I kept turning in thing after thing after thing, but it wasn't until I tasted the Lord that I knew what was really good. Won't you come with me? Come with me and taste and see the Lord is good. I speak from experience because I've tried a lot of bitter things. Well, once I gave my life to the Lord and I tasted the Lord, I, that, that is good. That is so good. I want more. And the sad reality is, is some of us get the taste of the world back in our mouths and we start liking the taste of the world. And it's like, man, I wish church would be over so I can go watch this or do this or go here or go there. I can't wait. And you know what? I don't want to go today. I'm so glad. I'm so thankful for COVID. That means COVID freed me from having to go to church. We can just do church from home now. And people are still in COVID church mode. And God says, let us gather and magnify His name together. It's like I meet in community. I like community. I like gathered praise and worship to God. And that's what happens when He begins to revive people. I don't know about you, but I need a revival. I need my spirit revived. I need it revived about six times every hour. Every day, Lord, every day, every day, every week I need to be revived because I'm like a dead man walking around and I just need to be revived every single day. Like every day, Lord, fill my cup because I'm going to go against some enemies and there's people that are just draining me and all my joy just goes sucked right down the drain. Every day, Lord, fill me back up, fill me up because I, I run out quick. I hit E quickly. And I need to be pulling in regularly and saying, Lord, fill my cup. There's a recipe in the Old Testament that talks about revival, and it's when the temple was built. And I don't want to need to go into it too much, but it's that passage we've all heard. It says, if my people who will call by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my faith, then I will hear from heaven. And that's a recipe for us. But the recipe starts like this. If my people, first of all, you've got to be the people of God, so you need to know Jesus. And it says, if my people will humble themselves. And I've never much was much for humble pie. I just never thought it tasted too good. But Jesus said, if you want to know the delight of the real food and goodness of God, you've got to eat some humble pie before you get to the table. 
you can't make to the table till you've had a little bit of humble pie. A humble pie means you humble yourself before God Almighty and say, Lord God, I won't, I won't end the party, but I know there's some stuff in my life I need to leave at the door on the way in. And people are trying to get into the presence of God, but they're bringing, their, they're bringing their stuff with them, their junk. And he says, humble yourself before God and turn from your wicked ways. It's like, before you can come in, I want to know that you're serious. And it's like, even when you come in, he says, just come on in. But before you can really experience what's happening here, you have to humble yourself and turn from your wicked ways. Whatever your wicked ways are, my friend, you need to turn from them. Believe me, we all got them. Oh, there's so many wicked ways in the church of Jesus Christ. There's so much mess in here. And we're not, we're not known for being free of mess. We have mess. And you go to any church, you find mess. You want some mess? Come, can you mind, for those of you who've been by my office counseling the last year, can I just give your name and tell what you've been going through? Would y'all be okay with that? I just say, well, let me tell you about this person you don't know, but how about this person? And then I'll take my turn and say, well, let me tell you what I know about me. And we would just get here and go, this is, this is just awful. But Jesus says, if you'll humble yourself and turn from your wicked ways, I'll deal with all that. I'll deal with it. I'm good. I got power. There is power in the righteous blood of Jesus Christ that can deal with all your sins. I can, I can deal with that. But what I can't deal with is people who come in here and pretend with me. They say, oh, I'm good. I'm going to go and worship Jesus. And they won't humble themselves and crowd to God. And they come in here like going, oh, it's good. It's good. I'm just looking for a new place to show and show, shine my light for Jesus and praise. But there's no humility. They're not going to come in here and they're not going to turn from their wicked ways. They just want Jesus to be an add-on. Add-on. Jesus, add on to my good life. Give me goodness. Give me your goodness. Don't expect anything from me, but I'm kind of hoping you might bless my marriage, bless my family, bless my job, bless my life. Bless me, Jesus. And he says, get on your face and humble yourself and turn from your wicked ways and I'll bless you with rivers of blessing you've never experienced before. I'll show you that I'm better than all that stuff you've been chasing. And that's when the heart begins to revive. Well, I want to, you call it, what in the world does that have to do with 2 Corinthians chapter 2? A lot. And it has to do with because Paul understood revival. He understood what happens when people begin to seek God and find God. And that's what he committed his life to. Second Corinthians is like a summons to revival. That's what the whole Bible is. The whole Bible is come taste and see that I am good. And the whole Bible is that people are willing to begin to pursue God. And Paul knew that. And he knew that they were messy and they had a lot of sins. And you go back in 1 Corinthians. If some of you who traveled with us through 1 Corinthians, you go, you were, some of you were like shocked when you realized how sinful they were. It's like, I can't believe the stuff we've been talking about in church. And I can't believe the stuff that went on in the Corinthian church. The stuff that goes on at Webster Baptist. And Paul says, well, then you need to understand and hear and receive and live from the gospel every single day. And that's what he's telling them. And he begins by telling them that they needed to get a clean conscience. He says, uh, this is our boast, the testimony of our conscience. They had a conscience. Do you have a conscience? You have a con does it work? Does it work? Does it work? Is it on? You ever feel bad? Some of you are like, no, I don't feel bad. I've, do you realize if your conscience isn't working, you are in some serious trouble? The most dangerous thing for any person to be is a person without a conscience who doesn't feel any, they go do wrong and they just wipe their mouths and act like they never did anything wrong. 
They can murder, kill, commit adultery, rape, sleep with people, do whatever they want to do, and their conscience just doesn't bother them at all. They just go right on. They come to church and they worship God. And it's like, I'm good. Their conscience isn't bothering. They're not broken. And therefore, they wonder why they're not experiencing the fullness of God's blessing. And he says, get, your, get a clean conscience. The gospel messengers were able to claim that they had confessed up. And they repented deeply and regularly. They did not declare nor pretend they were sinless, but their sins were confessed and covered by the blood of Jesus. So if you're here today and you don't have a clean conscience and you're sitting here going, there's some mess in my life, then I'm going to tell you, my friend, I have some great news. I know someone that can go right in there and do the surgery that you need in your soul. And his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross for you and rose in the power of the resurrection. He will come and he will help you. If you're willing to confess your sin and lay it out to Jesus, he says, I will come into you and I will cleanse you and I will give you something that's so important when you come to worship me. And that's a clear conscience. A clean, I will clean you up so that you can walk into my presence unhindered and not feeling guilt and not feeling shame. You can walk into my presence and say, yes, I am that sinner, but I am saved by the grace of God. So sinners like me can come into the presence of a living God based on the perfect righteous blood of Jesus. We're washed by Jesus Christ and I now can come without my conscience smiting me. My conscience works. It's alive. I know when I've done wrong, but I've taken that before God. And so Paul could say, like the others, that we can have our, our conscience testifies for us. There's another thing that they did is they lived simply. It talks about, says, uh, we can testify that we've behaved in the world with simplicity. They didn't have a busy, complicated life. And some of you do. Some days I do. Some days it's like, Lord, I feel like my life is just cluttered and heavy and weighty. I got so many things around my ankles and around my arms and dragging behind my truck. And just so much pile, 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 spiritual, mental pile. I'm carrying too many loads. And Jesus says, come to me and unload some of this stuff and focus on me and get rid of anything that hinders you in your relationship. And they had learned to do that. They had learned. They were testifying. We've learned to live in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. And godly sincerity means they were real. They were authentic. They weren't pretending all the time. They weren't always a fake. It's so hard to be a fake. It's so exhausting to be fake. Some of you need to quit being fake. I need to not be fake. Fake is when you take 81 pictures and you put one on there and post the one that's captured, you know, like, look at my good life. And you took a picture and your good life's not a real life. That's not your real life. It's a picture you took and it took you 80 shots to get it. And then you post it and go, this is me and my good life. And people believe you. They're stupid. They're so stupid. They look at that and go, man, I wish I had a life like so-and-so. Look at their life. Oh, look, they're there with their cute little puppy or whatever it is. Whatever. Look by, by the waterfall. Oh, they're up in cashiers today having so much fun. And they're here doing this. And they're just pre you're pretending. You're putting this fake life out there. And nobody who's smart realizes it's just one picture in one. It's not your life. It's a picture you took. And you fixed it all up. And you send it out and everybody goes like, 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 like. And then you feel good. It's like, I'm liked. I'm liked. And it doesn't mean squat, to be honest. Sincerity is when you say you're real with someone. And you go, no, my life, that was a picture. And you, put, you might put a heading under it that says, that's a picture. 
That's not my real life. My real life is I've been hurt, I've been beaten, I've been abused, I've made bad decisions. Your real life is the one that says, to be authentic with you, oh, that's just a picture. That's just what I, that was a post. But I got some stuff inside and I just want to let you know the real me. And when people get authentic and they're sincere with each other, and they begin to really talk about and say, you know what, this is my, this, I'm projecting this picture of me, but I need someone to talk to about the real me. And they had learned to do that with Jesus. They had learned to do that in a context of Christian community where people could say, hey, you know, your picture looked like everything's okay, but are you doing all right? No, the truth of the matter is I'm not. And it's just genuine and sincere. And then another thing we learn is they were able to keep their eyes on the Lord. And it says here, talking to them in verse 14, it says that just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of the Lord, Jesus, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. So he couldn't wait to think about and keep forefront of our lives would be the day of the Lord. And someone says, well, what is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is many things. First of all, it's the Lord's day. It's the day when he's on the throne. It's the day when he shines. It's his day. It's His day. It's His moment. It's not about you. It's not about did you make it in the paper? Did you make the list of some accomplishments? It's the, the day of the Lord. It's the day when the Lord shines and there's nobody else. And His glory is revealed in such a way that no one's going to go. No one on that day is going to be talking about themselves. It's all about Him. And you're looking forward to that day because you're united with Him and He's your Savior and your Lord and your King. You want Him to be honored and exalted because of what He's done for you. And on this great day, that's the day that we're thinking about the day that Jesus is coming. There's some people in this room that are getting married and I've talked to them and there's a guy who's doing a very unguy-like thing and he remembers a date. After you get married, sometimes people, guys forget their date, but there's a, a guy in this room and he's engaged and it's like, hey, how you doing? 83 days. Huh? 83 days till I get married. That's all you think about. And it's because that day is so big and important in his mind. And that's the way we ought to be. Like when Jesus is coming, like, hey, what are you doing in life? Well, I'm getting ready for Jesus. Well, what about these plans and these dates? And oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, those are important too. I need to keep my eye focused. But what I'm really excited about is Jesus is coming. Did you know Jesus is coming? Jesus is coming. Jesus, no, not, not. He's not coming a baby. He's coming the king. He's like coming to a final celebration. It's like everything. Jesus is coming. Did churches, you know that? that uh, this is like new news to you, right? Jesus is coming. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is coming. He's coming. He really is. He's really coming. And it'll be the culmination of everything. The greatest event in the history was not the, the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection was... Well, I don't know. Maybe so. That's a big, pretty big day. <laughs> so maybe I'm not so sure. Well, all right, we're going to celebrate. I don't know. It's the, one, it's the one of the big days. It's the big day. It's the next big day. Let me say that. It's the next big day coming. That was the biggest day. But the next big day is when he comes back and to claim all the victories for all the spoils of war. When he comes back to claim all those victories. And Jesus' return is the, is the spoils of war. He's going to be celebrating and his enemy will be completely obliterated. And all those who didn't, weren't there were not going to be looking forward to that day. But as believers, we're, we're excited and we're looking forward to the Jesus coming. 
Our eyes are on this event. And that's what revival does. Revival reminds us what's important. It's like, man, the day of the Lord, Jesus is coming. It's like, man, I was so worried about my test, and Jesus is coming. I was so worried about my job, and Jesus is coming. I, I got surgery coming up, but guess what? Jesus is coming. I've got all these things going on, and in light of those things, I need to keep those things in perspective of the fact that Jesus is coming. Not that those things are important. They're just not nearly as important. They're far less important because Jesus is coming. And that's what it means. And that's what Paul was trying to tell them. They're all worried about their daily lives and their concerns just like we do. They were fretting and anxious. He said, do not be anxious. Jesus is coming. Do not get so worried about this. Jesus is coming. Okay, you wrecked your car. It's not a good day, but Jesus is coming. It's kind of what he's saying. We're like going, oh, it's been the worst day of my life. And Jesus says, no, Jesus, I'm coming. Keep your eye on that. Even if your life ends, Jesus is coming. It's like you're, you're in line. You're in the right direction. If you love the Lord, you're, you're on this path and this trajectory that I'm coming for you. Don't forget what it's like the little kid. Look, get one hand here and one hand like Turn their head. They're like looking out the window. Look at me. I'm coming. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's taking his two hands and putting it on our frustrated little faces. And he's turning us to look dead in his eye and says, I'm coming. I'm coming. Don't you worry. I know I'm with you. I see what's going on. I have not forgotten you, but you seem to have forgotten me. I'm coming for you. And it's like, whoa, everything feels lifted. It doesn't feel so terrible if we could just remember that. It doesn't say that makes you oblivious to what's going on around you. It gives you the grace to endure what's going on around you. That's the difference. And then lastly, he talks about them longing for more. It's a weird little phrase in the ESV. It's the only one that's translated. The ESV says a second experience of grace. It sounds like a um, Pentecostal or charismatic blessing, and, but that's not what it is. It's not a, a baptism. It's a, the ESV translates different than the others. But it's, I, I went back and looked at the Greek, and I'm no Greek scholar, but I can, I can, I can work with it a little bit. Um, and it basically just means I'm going to bless you again. I'm just going to bless you. And folks, I, have a, I just get this feeling that the Lord God is going around blessing some folks. And there's people hopping in their cars and they're driving a long way because they just want to be blessed again. They just want to be blessed again. They're like remembering how much they loved God when they first became a Christian. It's like, I loved you so much. I was so into this. And like, Lord, I'm, I'm kind of dull right now. Would you bless me? And they're like, I'll get in my car. What's a little gas? I'll burn a little gas. I'll go a little distance. And the real question is, but will you get on your knees? Sometimes it's easier to get in the car and drive for a few hours than it is to get on your knees. And that's what we're asking you. Can God bless us? And it says, well, it's not about gas. You don't have to go. If you get a chance to go, that's fine. That's great. I love that I went. But I came back to tell you that we can have what's going on there. God's not a miser. He's very generous. He's like wanting. He's like, I'm telling people. He's like, tell people I'm available for them. And the truth of the matter is, is he, want, he loves to bless he loves to give second, third, and fourth blessings. He wants to pour out His blessing. He said, just focus on me. Worship me. Sing to me. Confess your sins. Get rid of that evil in your heart that's keeping you from me and confess it and turn from your wicked ways and focus on me and I'll give you more than you could imagine. Those who hunger and thirst, He said, will be filled. Those who are filled can bless others. 
It's, just, it's a longing. That's all it is. It's a longing. I long for you. And it's like, tell the Lord that. Like, Lord, I want you. I, I don't know. Maybe you leave here today and you hear things. Uh, something happened to me that I think probably happened to a lot of you. The minute you hear, so, heard something about the revival, your first thing is like, is that real? And the second thing is, I want me some. I want me some. That's what, that's, I think, if you're a Christian... If you hadn't had that kind of response, then what in the world's wrong with you? God's like going, I'm giving out blessings. You want to get in line? Yes, I want to be in line. And yes, I want, I want the blessings of God. Longing for more. And recognizing that God controls the uh, calendar and appointment book. I was kind of wrestling with a little bit with this passage, and it says, like, they were kind of complaining. It's like, hey, Paul, you said you were coming, and you didn't come, and then you said it again, and you didn't. Are you vacillating? Are you like wishy-washy, Paul? You're coming, you're not coming. And then Paul says, ho, 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 ho. First of all, I'm just Paul. And you don't really need Paul, you need Jesus. And Jesus is the one in charge of the calendar here. He's the one that makes appointments on the appointment book. And so what's really happening is they're saying, Paul, this, and they're thinking, has God forgotten us? That like we thought we were going to go. He doesn't really love us. And it's like he would have come to see us. Well, I don't know about Christianity. And what Paul is saying is, look, God's the one that determines if I get to come or not. I'm trying to do the will of God, and you need to do the will of God. And if you do the will of God, you'll realize that God's running after you already. And it's so beautiful. Like, if you're really longing for more, then recognize that God moves in God's timing, and our job is to respond to it. And my whole point is, and you might be saying, God's blessing them over there. How about us? God's more than willing to bless you. And if this is a moment in time in history where God is blessing people, I want in. Webster, you want in? I do too. And I don't want to just say, no, nah, maybe it'll come a little closer. The only way it's going to come closer when people get on their faces before God. That's what it means to come closer. It's not X number of miles away. It's just prayers away. God help us. And then lastly, um, I guess I can say it this way, Jesus is the jackpot. That's what he's saying. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. The promises, remember um, in, the, in the book of Genesis when they're like going, oh no, we've messed everything up. We've sinned against God. Let's hide, cover our sins in my little fig leaves. And they're trying to hide from God and they're terrified. They feel guilty. And he says, no, I promise I'll send a deliverer. You keep your eyes on me. You trust in me. I will send a redeemer. And then they even said, and that redeemer will come through Eve. It'll be a human being. So he was promising the Messiah. So he made a big promise to promise the Messiah. Then Abraham comes along and says, Abraham, I promise I will make you into a people that loves me. But you got you to gotta love me and be, by faith I'll save you, but you have to believe by faith that I'll send, I'll send someone. I'll send someone. He made a promise to Abraham. He says, I'll send someone. And then he set up this um, um, huge, complicated system of worship and sacrifices. And he says, I, I know you don't fully get it, but if you'll bring your bulls and your lambs and three times a year all the, everybody will come and then every day, morning and evening sacrifice. And, and priest, if you'll put on all those clothes and bells and um, hats and looks like a chef's hat and all these little bells and blue and purple linen and a tent and 
uh, candles. You'll light all the candles and you'll have a, 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 a table over here with um, some showbread. And over here you've got some, uh, um, an ark. I'll make an ark of the covenant that symbolizes the breast, my blessing and my presence. And you do all this complicated stuff. And I promise that I'll one day, if you'll do that for me right now, I promise I will bless you if you'll do all that. And then he comes and he says, well, I'll meet with you like I, I will meet people. And the Shekinah glory of God came into the tabernacle and ran them out. And he says, the Shekinah glory of God will come in person, like the person who is the glory of God, Jesus will come. And he kept making all these promises. And Jesus came and he says, it's all in Him. All the promises of God are yes in Him. Everything you're longing for is in Jesus. It's not in which religious denomination you're part of. It's not did you get a, a fresh new leather Bible. It's not did you um, um, join a, a club or a, a group or this or that. It's like in Him. It's in Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus because all the blessings of God are yes in Jesus. Yes, Jesus. It's like you get hold of Jesus and you get at all. It's like the full package, the whole deal. And that's what he's trying to tell him. It's like, don't get sidetracked. Don't get this. All the promises of God in it. Yes. In him. Yes, Lord. There's an old song. A yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. I forget how it goes, but it's a bunch of yeses and it's about Jesus. And that part I remember. And that's what I want you to remember. So let me ask you, are you trusting in the promises of Jesus? Do you believe the finished work of Jesus Christ can set you free from all your sin and the damage that your sin and the sin of human has done to this world can be, can be defeated? The, the, the power of sin is defeated by the power of the righteousness of one person, Jesus Christ, and all the promises of God are yes in Him. Everything that you need, will ever need and ever want and ever could imagine are yes in Jesus. The problem that the beginning is that you have to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you need to do that today. Maybe some of you need to say, yes, Jesus, I've been searching, I've been looking, asking questions. What does it mean to know Jesus? And you just say, yes, Jesus. And maybe you're here today and Jesus says, do you want to go deeper with me? And you say, yes, Jesus. And maybe some of you go, Jesus, we hadn't had a real good time lately and I want to be revived. Revive me, oh Lord. And that, that comes by saying, yes, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, will you, will you visit with me a while and sit with me a while? And you say, yes, Jesus. And he says, can we talk about some of the stuff that's going on in your life? And you go, yes, Jesus, because you finally decided that Jesus is safe to talk to. You wouldn't trust talking about your stuff to everybody else because they're not safe. And they won't treat you the way Jesus. When people find out your sins, they will never treat you the way Jesus will treat you when he finds out about your sins. And he said, people look at your sins and go, you're a sinner. And Jesus says, I died for sinners like you. And come and will you give me your sin? Will you take your sins? I will not make fun of you. I will carry your sin to the cross and die for you. I will die for that sin of yours if you'll just bring it to me. And that's when revival begins is when people begin to remember what it was that brought them to a saving relationship with Jesus. And we go back to the basics and we confess our sins to God and we say, Lord God, I need more of you. All the promises of God are wrapped up in who you are and what you have done. And so I make my way back to the foot of the cross. I say this over and over again, the cross is not a drive-by, it's my new home. I live there, it's my address now. 
And that's what we want to do as we sing in close. And that's what we're praying for. And if you come join us, that's all we're doing. Like, what are we going to do? We're going to seek Jesus and we're going to worship Him and we're going to pray and we're going to confess sin and we're going to ask Him to move and He will. That's what we're about. So we're going to sing now and maybe you need to have dealings with God and you can do it right where you are. There might be someone that says, I just want to talk to someone. You can, I'll, I'll be over here if someone says, I want someone to pray with me. And I'm going to ask if we have an elder or someone like that in here and you can come up here and you can pray. You can pray with someone. You can come up here and pray. But we're going to just take a few minutes and we're going to try to release a little bit more quietly today. So when we finish, maybe you guys can pray a little, sing a do something a little bit longer. And if you feel like you have business to do with Jesus, you just, you just linger a little bit if you need to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. You are glorious. And we love you for what you've done for us. And we confess to this point, the expressions of gratitude are not proportionate to the exchange that occurred when we gave our sins to you and you gave your righteousness to us. And right now we want to respond. If we're lost, then we want to respond by believing in you unto salvation. And if we're saved, we want to be revived and renewed in our love and devotion to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.